Uh, Every Sunday we have visitors and we are looking uh, at the book of James. Uh, So if you're visiting today, maybe uh, you're searching for a church or maybe you're somebody who is uh, beginning to to wonder if uh, maybe the gospel is true. Um, I I always wonder, what is it that people are looking for in a church and, and what is it that if you're not a believer or you're thinking about leaving the faith, what is it that you're really, what are you looking for? I mean, we all know the message. The gospel is Christ has come. He's crucified. He's risen from the dead. We all believe that. But frankly, what I think people are looking for is that the church would be the church, that that we would be the vessel of the gospel. This is why it's so important you have to work on your marriages here at Redeemer. It's why it's important that we are, are involved in each other's lives the community groups are not just for Bible study. It's fellowship around the scriptures because we need one another. Um, because life is hard. But, but if there's an unbeliever here, they want to see if we handle life differently. Uh, if we love one another and care for each other. That's what James is concerned about. James is concerned about the suffering of believers. But James is also saying that, okay, in the, in the midst of your suffering... We still have imperatives. <laughs> We're supposed to be different. And so that's what James is talking about throughout the book. But as we come to, to our chapter and our reading this morning, James talks about faith, not works. That if you don't have faith, you can't live the Christian life because, the, I'm telling you, it's just it's a misery. Because you're operating out of your flesh and not from the Spirit. So... That's why we're looking at James, okay? So if you would, I want you to read with me. We're only going to read verses uh, 12 through 18. I don't know why I told Morgan uh, the end of the chapter, but so be it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And let no one say... When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray together. Father, I have no doubt that there are those who are hurting this morning, uh, both believers and unbelievers. And they need to know that you are not only all-powerful and able to deal with their situation, not only deal with it, but have brought it. Um, But you're also good. 
And Lord, sometimes it's hard to see your goodness in the midst of being um, sucker punched by life. Whether it's due to our own sin or the sin of someone else or just the circumstances that are circumstances. But Father, you've called us who name the name of Christ to see that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Even when the gift is the gift of a good discipline For the greatest joy in life for the believer is to become like Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand your word today. Uh, Lord, I'm always intimidated by every text because it's your word. And what matters is your word and not the thoughts of a preacher. And Father, I speak to those who will not hear today. Apart from your grace, they will remain deceived and in the fog living in sin, or living in sin and not even knowing it, being dragged away and being enticed by their sins. Oh, Father, eternity is an important matter. And you speak much of that in this text. And so cause us to be sober as we come to your word. But, Father, cause us to see the gospel that there is hope Uh, to those who see their weakness and their need for Christ. And I ask it in your name. Amen. Why is this happening to me? What can be the purpose of my present circumstances? And based on what's going on in my life now, what's going on in my marriage, what's going on in my financial situation, what's going on in my health, my, my grades, if you're a high school student, what is my future? Uh, what is going on? Uh, God, this is not how I plan my life. This is not the way I wanted it to turn out to be. I'm 60 years old and my marriage is not what I want it to be. Or I've been married for 10 years and I'm realizing my husband... Or my wife, uh, it's a difficult marriage. Or you get to be 50 years old and you realize that when you thought that you would be financially secure, that you're not. Or you're financially secure, but other areas of your life seem to be falling apart. Maybe you're asking uh, these questions this morning. What's going on in my life? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian... But can we not admit that these questions have been going on from the very beginning of time? Every generation that has come and gone has dealt with these issues. Of why is this happening to me? What is going on in my life? It's what all the great literature is birthed out of is usually the pain and the suffering of the author. All the great works. And it doesn't matter what your color is, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your uh, circumstances, I mean, whether you're male or female or what your gender is or your politics, the question comes. And life is filled with difficulties and the very presence of of evil that clearly exists raises all sorts of questions. What is going on? Why is this happening in my life? Well, maybe you're struggling this morning. Maybe those are the things that you're dealing with. And please be honest if you're a member here. Please. I'm sorry, that was a little loud. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
Because God wants all of us who name the name of Christ to be genuine people. People who are willing to put themselves in the fire. Lord, burn out these drosses. Because, see, your marriage might never change. And your financial situation might never change. Your intellectual abilities might never change. Your giftedness might, is, you've hit the ceiling and you realize it. Or your career is never going to change. And you're asking the question. Well, how do you get an answer to this question? I mean, certainly James is going to give us an answer to the question. How do we get an answer to this question? Well, let's, let's say this. If you're, if you're not a believer, maybe you're an agnostic or an atheist, there's no point in asking the question. Because there is no God, and there's no point in the first place. And so it's pointless to ask the question. Or if God is a God that you can't know, uh, then uh, it's kind of like the Star Wars thing, the, the force. There's a God that's up there. He's cranked it up somehow. But you know what? When it all gets down to it, he has no idea what's going on in your life, nor does he care. So what's the point? It would be illogical to ask the question, right? But if there's a God... And he's the God that you can know. The only one that presents himself that way is the one who appeared to Moses and said, I am that I am when he was asked who he was. He is the Almighty. And we can ask him that question. Lord, why is this happening to me? What's going on in my life? That's why we read Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible, according to most commentators. And you know what Job is about? It's called a theodicy. And what is a theodicy? It is a defense of God in his righteousness, in his holiness, in light of the fact that there's sin and evil in the world. But it's interesting that in all these things, and I don't know what your situation is, but apparently in one day he lost everything he had, including his wife, his sons, I mean his wife, but his sons and his daughters. And it says that in all these things, he worshiped God. And therefore, we're able to read the book of Job, aren't we? You know what? Because he was a real man who, who, who endured. And even at the end of his life, when I mean, at the end of the, this trial, and God appears to him, after God appears to him, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't answer his question. He just, he, God vindicates himself. And let me tell you what, if, if, you're, if you're living in anger and bitterness, and uh, you're not making much progress in your Christian life. Might I suggest that God has never showed up, nor is he obligated to. But when he shows up to Job, in the midst of everything that Job had gone through, and God is saying, let me be God, I am God, then Job says, I repent in dust and ashes. Wherefore, I'd hate myself, abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. You understand? He's not going to say, why, God, why have you done this to me? Because, you see, he saw God. And God never gave him an answer. And maybe God won't give you an answer in this life as to why you struggle with the things that you struggle with. But it might very well be that God is using that thing in your life to bring you to himself. First, if you're not a Christian. Things are out of control. Well, who's going to bring control? Or if you are a Christian, you know what the real goal is? For the Christian, that no matter what, Christ is the great pearl, pearl of great price. I give up all these things that I might embrace him. And as you embrace him and the very trials that he went through, then you become like him. 
and you mature. Well, that's what James is saying up to this point in our text. Why have these various trials come? In fact, he says, take joy in them because in these trials... Now, again, I'm talking about the people who have the Spirit here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about works righteousness people. I'm talking about born-again people. Those who the word of faith has come, as we'll see in our text. That the Spirit in you is through God's providence in these trials is maturing you. So that rather than defaming the name of Christ through our sins and never maturing, that in the midst of our fire, people see us and say, uh, truly, uh, there is a, there's a God in heaven. Now, James says, in the midst of your trials, remember a couple of weeks ago, he said, in the midst of your trials, and you're, and you're punched in the face, right? And you got to go, remember how he said you have to go all 15 rounds? Do you remember that? I'm not going to back off that one. You must endure 15 rounds, according to our text, or you're not going to make it. And then when you get sucker punched and life is already hard, and then on top of that, God is asking you to love your husband and be kind to him. And to love your wife and to be kind. And even if you have a divorce, to say, my life is not over God, give me the grace to love my ex. Well, James says, ask for wisdom. Because I can't do that. Can you do that? Can you do the will of God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. Because he gave the Ten Commandments, and they couldn't do that. And then Jesus comes on top of that and says, you're to be the light of the world. You're to be the salt of the earth because God is not interested in our external behavior, but he's he's interested in what issues out in our behavior from who we are as a person. Now, God is the one who brings the trials, ladies and gentlemen, and it's called his providence. And so what I want us to think about for a few moments is God's providence in your life. And hey, let me tell you something. If, if, if providence is good, remember I noticed my title says God's good and hard providence, hard and good providence or something like that. There's good providence. And some of you are kind of hitting a spot where it's like, man, you know what? I've kind of gotten through these trials and it's like, it's kind of, boy, my kids are kind of doing okay, whatever. And then there's hard providence. But understand this, God is almighty God and he has sovereignly brought every single thing into your life. Now how will you respond? That's the question. And so what I want us to see about providence this morning is this. The promise is submitting uh, to God's providence. That we are to submit to God's providence because of his providence promises and then secondly see that the the danger of resisting God's promises and then finally the result of God's providence in life of believers so there's a promise to those who submit to God's providence good or hard there's a promise do y'all see that promise I want before I read it I want you to look at your text 
And this is God's word. And what does God say in his word? Blessed is the man or woman or boy or girl who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It's very clear that James is kind of tying back to verse 2. In verse 2, God, uh, James says, Consider it all joy for these various trials because they cause you to endure and to mature. But now what's interesting here in, in James uh, chapter, uh, verse 12 is he kind of ties in trials with testing. Notice he says, who remains steadfast under trial for when he or she has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. It's very interesting in the Greek, a very, a very interesting play on words of trial and testing, this there, you say. The trial is a test. Now, this all comes in the providence of God. God's providence is always testing us. That doesn't stop. It happened this morning, didn't it? God's providence. Or how about God's providence this morning if there's somebody you have something against in the church and you still take communion? You think that's not providence? You don't think that's a trial? You don't think that maybe the reason your heart's getting harder and harder and harder is because you keep taking communion in the very presence of Almighty God and you're failing that test because you do not have any intention of changing. And you don't think it's going to bring stuff down on you. Oh, yes, it will. And we'll see that in a moment. But notice there's a promise in God's providence. And the, promise, uh, the providence is this, that if we stand the test, we'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to who? Who's this say in our text? To those who love him. Now, I'm not asking if you believe. My question is, do you love him? Is that love growing because of the testing? And you see your failure over and is anybody, I mean, we failed the test, but in, in the, the failure of the test, and he continues to love you, and he continues to uh, will you to himself. That is what brings repentance. It is what makes a longing for heaven. But it's in God's providence that that comes. But you ask, if you're 10 years old and you're listening to me, and, um, and actually I do have 10-year-olds that, <laughs> that ask me questions, Uh, Like last week, the question was, hey, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? That came from a six-year-old, I think, seven maybe. The the, the theodicy question, good good question. But so I, I need to explain to you what providence is. A decree is God's plan. Providence is that plan working out. You know why you're here today? Because my wife and I came here 21 years ago. Now, how many of y'all asked me to come here 21 years ago? Nobody? But you see, now I'm not saying that, that you're here because of Mary Beth and myself, but kind of milk this a little bit, right? God in his providence brought Mary Beth and I here. 
And uh, because he came here, we were able to gather some people, and then we were able to find this uh, a building, and we picked a time to meet. And here we are out 20-something years later, and you're here in this building right now of no choice that you made, right, other than coming this morning. But if this were still a tire company, would y'all be here on Sunday morning? Man, when I first walked in those doors, this is all aluminum painted. Their cars are all jacked up. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is the place. But, of course, we had to get rid of the cars because uh, it's a different place now. But the point is that God foreordained before the world began that, my, uh, that I would live, my wife would live, that we would meet each other, that we would have children. We'd grow up in the South. We'd go do college ministry and, and then, boom, have a heart to come to a city that's very pagan. And so we come. And so God's providence is ordaining it's, it's him carrying out everything that he has ordained. The Westminster Confession uh, says this. God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things. Now listen to this, because it's talking about you. Unless you're just slumbering. But even if you're slumbering today, and you're not really paying that close attention, would y'all understand that's by God's providence and how you are responding to God's providence. He governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even of the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom Power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So God in his providence is at work in your life. And you are either going to become a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. In other words, you know that song we sing? Uh, you are, uh, God, you're the potter, I am the clay. Have I known the way, Lord? Right? He's the potter. We're the clay. Wham, take a piece of clay. You slam it on there. And what does the clay do? Just rolls around. And then all of a sudden, then comes the hands of the potter. And it begins to shape that clay. Puts water on it. Keeps it soft. Keeps it working. And that pot becomes a vessel. And here's what Peter says. I mean, Paul says about that vessel. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honorable use, some of dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from that which is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You know, when the scriptures talk about God, and you, you want God's hand upon you, you feel God's hand upon you. Let me tell you, any time in the scripture, usually it's his hand, is his, his heavy hand. Not heavy-handed. But right, that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. It says, submit yourself therefore under God's heavy hand, and in due time he'll lift you up if you faint not. And then he goes on to say that I be careful of Satan, who is a, who's a roaring lion seeking to devour these clay pots that are being cast aside because they refuse to submit to the providence of God. And say, Almighty God, this is the family you gave me. I submit to that. I will love my father. I will love my mother. I will love my husband. I will love my wife. I will love my children. 
I will accept what you've brought in my life because you are good and powerful. That's what the text says. And he says, if you endure, you will receive a crown. The crown that he's talking about there is not a golden crown, but a crown that you would give an athlete when they had endured and run the marathon. They had run the race and they receive it. But my dear friends, it is very clear if you read the New Testament at all. It's not just believing. It is enduring. Jesus said, makes that clear in, Romans, uh, in Revelation chapter 2. He who endures even unto death will receive the crown. Um, kind of a, well, it's not an aside. It's, it's along, along this line. Maybe I've said this before. Somebody said me they're reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. You ever read, if anybody's ever read, not read Fox's Book of Martyrs, don't read it on your honeymoon. <laughs> I read it on my honeymoon. And the reason I wanted to read it on my honeymoon is because I love Mary Beth. God had given me this woman who loves Jesus Christ, who wanted to honor him, wants to serve him. Uh, A woman who told me I ought to be a minister five years after marriage. But you know what? I'm reading that book because there were 12 and 14-year-old girls who accepted the will of God and were flayed alive when they were 13, 12. They weren't texting. They weren't living in sexual immorality. 12 and 13-year-old boys and girls, I remember two sisters who were flayed alive because of the world to come and their love for Jesus Christ. And I'm like, man, God, thank you that I can be on my honeymoon and enjoy uh, this creation, enjoy the blessing of my wife because of girls who gave theirs and submitted to God's hard providence in their life. And they're in glory now, aren't they? Much greater glory than we can experience. For our present sufferings don't compare to the eternal glory to come to those who believe. So that's the first thing. In God's providence, he tests us. And he promises us if we endure, we receive the crown. Do y'all see that? Is that pretty clear in that verse? Now, maybe at this point you're starting to go, yeah, right, sure. Or you're going, I wish I weren't here this morning because I don't really want to hear this. Well, you know what? I don't blame you if you don't submit to it. Like if you're a covenant child and you're living in sin, I wouldn't want to be here. But you got to come because your parents are here. But I'm telling you with all the love in my heart that God brings things in your life. Because he loves you and he wants you to be like him. Because there is no life but death, as we'll see, when God hands you over. So, notice the second thing, though, is the danger of resisting God's providence. Everything is God's providence. You sitting here is God's providence. You being a male or a female or black or white is God's providence. But notice it's the danger. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Trials and troubles, says James, are inevitable. This is part and parcel of providence. But at first glance, it seems like that he's changing the subject from trials to temptation. But the reality is it's the same word that's used, but he's changing that word. But you're testing, and this is where the warning comes. The warning comes in the testing. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. Somebody said that every trial is a temptation. It's a test. Anything is a change in your life. I'm telling you, any circumstance that's a change in your life is a test. Is there going to be change in your life this week? Yes. Are you going to go from the 8th grade to the 12th grade? Yes. Are you going to go from graduate school uh, to a job? Yes. Are you going to get fired from your job? Maybe. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Maybe it'll be great for you. This week, maybe you insurance salesmen will make a buku of money. Well, then the test comes in all your abundance. Is that not the test for us? That we live in a culture that is a leisure, uh, leisure, leisurely, leisure? You know what I'm saying. Right? Comfort and, and ease and, and uh, you know, let's go, what are we going to do this afternoon? But that's a test, isn't it? Or if you lose your job and you lose your retirement or you lose your friends, that's a test. But every situation is a test. Things do not stay static. They're always moving and every uh, circumstance is an opportunity to respond So why all the trials? It's because James says that we need to be trained. And we need to discipline ourselves. You know, I, I tell you, I, and I want to give you uh, the, kind of the sequence of sin here. But kind of, you know, it's really me. If you're younger, like you're fit, 30, 25 or under, or if you're in junior high, I mean, we have members, well, Let's just say sexual immorality is really evil. Can I say that? Is that okay for me to say? I know that's not what TV says. I know that's not what y'all were doing back and forth to a certain extent. But you understand fornication is a sin. Pornography is a sin. Uh, just kind of winking at things. And just go, well, this is our culture that we live in. It's, it's, it's just what we do. We see James understands that. God loves you and he understands that. So he has to, when you start falling asleep, he has to bring these things into our lives so that we might endure. But if it doesn't, then here is what's going to happen. Uh, notice uh, just a couple of things. Uh, 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 first off, the first off is the temptation that, that, that God is not good. It's God's fault. Right? That's what it says in verse 13. Verse, thing tell, verse 13 tells us this. Um, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Well, you know, God, the devil made me do it. Or yes, God understands uh, I have sexual desires. Of course you have sexual desires. You're a male and a female. There's sexual desire. Can we uh, admit that? Because it's a good thing. But when you have an epitheme, a good thing overly thought about, it becomes sin. 
And then, you, and then you're kind of, you know, you're happy with your wife or your spouse. But, you know, that other person makes me feel more alive. How many times have I heard that on some TV show? Or my career. Or money. Or alcohol. Or marijuana. It's, it's a hyper. Like, I, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with alcohol, but I think there's something really wrong with alcohol when that's all you want. And man, I'm telling you, it's eating people alive. And so, so, but don't blame God for that. Don't blame the devil for that. For notice what he says in verse 14. <clears throat> but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And when desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth Death. Now, here's, 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 the, uh, here's the process. There's the attraction. First, there's the attraction. You begin to focus on that. And you know the term, it gives a fishing term, lure. And uh, I'm not a good fisherman, but I have fish with good fishermen. You know what they do? I mean, I'm just, I, don't, I don't like putting new bait on. Not the, I don't mind the bait. I, I don't mind worms. But I don't like putting like, new bait on because it takes too much time. I just keep throwing it. But I've, I fish with fishermen. Man, they'll take and bait off until they start catching them. Now I go, okay, can I borrow that lure? But here's the point. Your flesh, is, it's always been fished for until that shiny object comes in. And you're enticed by it, and you're looking at it, and wham, you go for it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, maybe you've been hooked. And that, and that hook is in there deep. But notice what it says. Uh, so there's, there's the attraction and then there's the deception. And then there's the preoccupation. But then there is the conception. Notice what it says. This is pretty scary stuff. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth. In other, in other words, it, it's given a sexual reference that's there. You know? You, you don't take back a pregnancy. And when it's conceived, it's got to go somewhere, and it's going to birth. And when it is birth, it is conceived, it brings birth, and it brings death. So either there's life coming from you in God's providence, in his circumstances, or there is death. You understand that? I, I, I don't know. I wish I could soften it up a little bit. One last thing from our text. So... So resting in, we're to rest in God's uh, promises in his providence. We are to not resist God's providence. You can't keep saying, well, God made me do this. It's not fair. I mean, seriously. But here's the last thing. Look, notice uh, the result of God's providence. What is the result when God is at work and we're responding? Verse 16, do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. There's results. Maybe you're going, maybe you're tempted to go, I mean, is this all worth it? It seems like every time I really want to follow Christ, things get more confusing. Life gets harder. I, 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 thought, I thought when I gave myself to him, uh, my wife would be nicer or my husband would be nicer or I'd make more money. How many people have I seen? That's their next exit, out the last exit before they go out the door. Because they go, you know what? I've done been there, done that. I don't believe it anymore. And so they leave. 
But then on the other hand, there are those who remain. But the reality is, in your heart, you've a long time ago said, it's not worth it. At least I get to go to heaven. Well, how do you know that? How do you know you're going to heaven if you say it's not really worth it to take up the cross and follow Christ? Peter's, I mean, James says that, um, you know, whatever's happened in your life, it is the good gift of God in his providence, even if it's hard, so that you might endure, so that you might receive the crown. Because uh, if you're a little boy or girl this, here this morning or maybe... But if you take a blue line and, and hook it all the way over here to that ch- building over there and it just keeps on going to S- uh, Sanford Stadium, and let's just say that blue line is a little light beam line uh, that represents eternity, and your life represents uh, a little red dot on there, a little red. Let me ask you, are you going to see that? You're not going to see it. <laughs> you know why? Because James understands and God understands that your life is but a flash. And how foolish it is to be enticed by that which perishes when we can be disciplined to that which is eternal. How does this happen? Well, you see God's goodness, James says, it because, and I end with this, he says in verse 18, of his own will, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruit. The first fruit came believing the rest of the fruit would come. Christ is called the first fruit of those who would be raised from the dead. He's been raised from the dead. That's the promise. Is he raised from the dead? Okay, we're to be a kind of first fruits. And what does that mean? That God's word has made us alive that we might become like Jesus Christ. Hey, is anything better than that? Well, if you say yes, then, you know, you've lost sight and God wants to bring you back. So how do you endure? Well, you believe God is good. He brings these things. He's disciplining me. So I let go of the things of this world that are held on to Christ. And then that process that Hal Farnsworth gets to become like Jesus. And Mary Beth Farnsworth gets to become like Jesus. And everybody in here gets to be, become like Jesus. So you're hanging on there. But while you're hanging, you're hanging on to the cross. How do you endure the cross? Because there's a world to come. I close on this. I, I was reading a story. This is years ago. And uh, it was about this missionary and his wife. They were dear wives. You know, where would we be without our wives? But they've been missionaries to, I don't know, uh, Africa for 40 years. It's at the turn of the last century, in the early 1900s. And so they're coming home on an ocean liner. <laughs> and uh, Teddy Roosevelt happened to be on that ocean liner. And so Teddy Roosevelt's coming into port, and he's out there. And then, of course, there's a band. There's streamers that are going. And, uh, and, uh, and everybody's cheering. And so the wife uh, saw the husband, and he was a little gloom. She said, why are you so gloom? And he said, well, you're no, you know, we've been over here doing this for 40 years. No party for us. Nobody cares about us when we come home. And his wife said, 
well, honey, we're not home yet. Now, let me tell you what God wants for you and me. He wants us not to come into the port of heaven with this just battered up ship with nothing on it. He wants that ship to be loaded down, bringing all those good things that in the storms of life that God, we've held by God's grace and come to port. That's what he wants for you. Don't y'all want that? I want that. I feel like I'm losing my cargo all the time, by the way. But, you know, the Lord says, hey, move over. Let me, let me grab this. Hey, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be your preacher. I would never get up here. God has put me through the fires because I need it. But I'm not the man I need to be. And you're not the man or woman you need to be. But God will work in us. And it's in our weakness. He is made evident in our life. Amen to that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As we come down to receive the Lord's Supper, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts. Father, oh, how I pray for my dear hurting brothers and sisters. Father, I pray especially for those who are living in sin, that maybe they've been convicted this morning for the first time in their life. I pray that they would come to Christ. And Father, I pray for believers who are falling asleep. Oh, mighty God, would you open their eyes to call them to see the journey is almost over. And to come to Christ, to thank you and bless you for the trials that you bring, because you love us. So, Lord, work in us and work among us, and we ask it in your name. Amen.